Okay, we are live on Facebook right now. So we are, thank you that we have the Doubted on um, from the Los Angeles metal band. And let's see if I can get you a better view, get everybody on the screen. Uh, this is everybody. We're missing everybody. Oh, okay, good. Good. I, yeah. thought, I thought like I had to widen it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you got the questions. We're going to get through um, this interview and uh, talk it up. So you're, you're fixing your angle. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So the first question we always ask um, our guest is, uh, when did you first get into music? Whoever wants to start first. Uh, Joshua, do you want to go first or somebody sure. else? Sure. Um, yeah, I was always uh, in the music growing up. My parents always had it on. It's always usually like classic stuff, like the Eagles, ACDC, things like that. Just older, like classic rock kind of stuff. And then because of that, when I got, got into like middle school, started wanting to play guitar. So started taking lessons. Um, George and I grew up going to the same uh, Sunday school when we were little. Um, first grade, kindergarten, first grade. Kindergarten, somewhere first there. grade. Yeah. And he started playing bass for this church. Uh, I was nine. Yeah. And then eventually he got into guitar as well. And then we started taking lessons together. So that's kind of how we got started. That. Well, yeah, he, uh, I played guitar for like a year or two from age 11 to like 12, 13. And then I sucked. I was terrible. And Josh was always so much better than I was. And I, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Josh, yeah. And he's actually our vocalist now. But uh, um, let's see. What was it? Middle school. No, oh, yeah, it was eighth grade talent show. No, no, it was seventh grade talent show. Yeah, seventh grade talent show. He came to me and he was like, hey, do you want to play my Gibson SG for a Green Day song called 21 Guns? And then I got into Green Day and I was like, yes. Uh, and that was actually my first live performance, I guess, for real people, not including like the church, I guess that I was going to, uh, was with him for seventh grade, uh, <clears throat> talent show. And then the next year we played the eighth grade talent show and played, uh, nightmare and gunslinger by Avenged Sevenfold, which was pretty cool. Uh, again, he was still always like better than me. And then <clears throat> that pissed me off. So <laughs> yeah, they got again. <laughs> Boost then, up your game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, let's see what happened after that. I guess we – what happened after that? Where was I going with that? Um, oh, no, yeah. We started taking joint lessons with the same guy, Ian Bolton. teacher? Ian Bolton uh, out of Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Actually, us three right here are uh, Tyler's drums, Josh's vocals. George's guitar, uh, Chris over there's other guitar. Uh, us three, though, we grew up in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Um, we all went to school together. Um, and then we met Chris out in, uh, or here, sorry. I went to school with him. Um, yeah, I'll tell you about that later. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, we grew up together, going to school together and shit. And me and Josh played guitar all, basically all through middle school, junior high, high school together. But uh, 
he kind of went down the baseball path and football path um, in high school. And I gave up baseball and just dedicated my life to music. And within a year, I passed him up in guitar or maybe a couple of years. I don't know. No, but uh, um, and then, yeah. And then we kind of swapped places and we didn't start this band, though, until after senior year. 2016. Yeah, 2016. We all graduated 2015. Um, yeah, uh, me and Tyler. Well, I'm jumping ahead. You can go ahead with your questions. Uh, Tyler, you, you, you go ahead. When so did you start? I've been playing drums earlier than I can actually remember. My dad was a drummer for all of his life, basically. Grew up on the same stuff they did, classic rock. Um, and then probably somewhere like middle school, junior high, I transitioned to like metal and started playing drums. And then George and I started playing together think eighth grade year i think after that talent show yeah we started playing together just jamming and then actually started writing somewhere midway through high school but never really dedicated to finishing anything until like the very after we got out basically after we graduated but yeah shit let me go back i guess and tell you my roots um Cause your roots are classic rock your roots are probably classic rock too and you know i've got some classic rock my dad was super into you know pink floyd and leonard skinner and uh even yes and genesis and um yeah that's my area i'm a keyboard he liked <laughs> a lot of different uh oldie rock or classic rock or yeah progressive, progressive rock. rock yeah that's that's yeah. the zone i'm in but yeah i appreciate yeah. that but I wasn't super into it. I actually, uh, I think the, from as long as I can remember up until I started playing bass, I was into country, like old school country, slightly old school country. Yes, I love, I love Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr. And um, Johnny Cash. John, yeah, you know, I didn't listen to him that much, but yeah, I respected him. Uh, mm -hmm. I just didn't. You know, have any Waylon Waylon Jennings? Uh, no, I actually just heard about him a few years ago, actually. But uh, yeah, no, he's great. Um, let's see who uh, Alan Jackson, Brad yep. uh, see, not old school, but like old school up until the two thousands. Country Alan Jackson, George Strait, uh, um, yeah, Brad Paisley, Keith Urban, some older stuff like that, I guess. Um, when they started out, and then. High school musical pop, man. That's what I was in into. I was super into Disney Channel and all that music going, you know, musical. Or like Hannah, Man, Hannah Montana. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not joking. And then all of a sudden, uh, Green Day. Yeah. Came into my life. Metallica came into my life. Uh, Kilgore and Cambria came into my life, and it was all over after that. I was just. Do you like that kind of punk attitude from like Green yeah. Day and then the heavy metal? Yeah. Metallica with kind of like really kind of moving metal into like a post Zeppelin state. Yeah. But, yeah. but they were a lot more serious than bands like Rat or Poison, you know? Yeah. They were, yeah. They were more like bringing Not back. Yeah. They were bringing back like the Zepp type yeah. of thing. Sure. Yeah. Was, really yeah. raw. Really yeah. raw, yeah. too. 
And um, then uh, me and Josh spent a whole summer, forget what year it was. It was probably seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. I don't remember. Somewhere in there. We spent a whole summer playing Modern Warfare 2. Oh, no. So, hold on. We start the day. <laughs> Video game. <laughs> we start start the day playing the three songs we knew over and over and over for like an hour or two at my buddy's house. His name is Alex Melton, our buddy's house. Um, then we'd go downstairs and his mom would order us or uh, go get us Little Caesars Pizza. And we'd watch <laughs> Step Brothers and eat Little Caesars Pizza and play Modern Warfare 2 and listen to music every day for like a whole summer pretty much and uh there was this one day where alex sat us down in front of uh, the computer and he's like dude you gotta check out this badass band man uh they just released a single it's called nightmares by a binge sevenfold and i was like no they can't be better than uh metallica man no way nobody's better than metallica and uh i listened to it and i hated it and then, like, three days later, I fell in love with every song they ever put out. And, like, I learned all their stuff as much as I could, as much as I thought I could at the time. So that, that is that your favorite? Like, I always ask the question, like, who you're more, more influenced by. Is that your primary influence right now? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I can easily say I would not be even half the guitar player I am right now if it weren't for that band. Because, um, I, I mean... Sinister Gates's guitar work uh, made, took me from sucking really bad to being like, oh, I can actually play. Okay. You know, just like uh, grinding and grinding on, you know, his solo work and his uh, uh, the ryth uh, rhythmic uh, uh, ryth rhythm guitar that he writes. And uh, mm -hmm. even the, the Rev, you know, writes a bunch of stuff, their drummer. But uh, <clears throat> anyway. So yeah, that's my I guess my roots. Uh, let's move to Chris now. I know he's similar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I kind of did majority of the same stuff as they did. I mean, just play video games all day and like listen, uh, learn the sevenfold songs. So you're a guitar player. You're a guitar player. Yeah, second guitar player. Yeah, we're missing our bass player. Yeah, you had to go home. For so, do you play more rhythm, or you guys create off lead? It's balanced. It's actually we're trying to make it more and more balanced because I mean he's no, uh, we're we're equal in mm -hmm. in abilities. Um, but the first album, just because you know I kind of wrote ninety percent of it um, mm -hmm. before he even joined the band. Um, I kind of take most of the leads uh, when we play, um, but you know the next few album or the next album we're gonna put out, we're gonna be dueling all the time, going back and forth. Um, he does play some leads for sure, uh, just because I'd rather play the rhythm. So do you guys? Because you, you have two guitar players, do you ever get into like a Eagles or or Leonard Skinner kind of duel? Yeah. guitar like playing like you know in different keys like the same type of solo you know kind of trading off like joe walsh used to trade off yeah you know, you know. we have that in our music all, all yeah over, for sure. yeah i can hear that so because that's like an eagles leonard skinner kind of 
thing and it used to yeah. you know, heavy 70s technique of having the dual guitar players kind of oh, yeah. jump on this on the solos and different different keys or different you know uh, ways of doing different types of guitars you know having a modifying the sound and just having a better tone because you're both doing it slightly off key or yeah. in the same or even in the same note at the same time which like an Alban brothers thing yeah yeah, Leonard Skinner does that too a lot. I mean, they have yeah. guitar players. You know, sometimes yeah. the lead just is doubled and they have a rhythm guitar player. Yeah, because Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman, they used to really lock in, and it was like unbelievable. You know, I'm right. still, I'm, I used to see the Almonds when Dickie Betts was still with them. You know, and uh, and just seeing that that twin guitar and the way Dickie can play. I mean, I never got to see Dwayne, but you know, to see seeing them lock in uh, with the government mule. You know their guitar player that he would like. You know, he he can kind of match. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, that that kind of guitar playing has always been. I, I'm a frust. I'm a keyboard player, but I'm a frustrated guitar player. So I try to take a Trent Reznor a, approach to synthesizers and, and and play synthesizers in a more aggressive way, not like yeah. a not like a new wave way, but a very aggressive industrial metal kind of way. So that's what I I like talking to the guys who are guitar heavy because. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with my sense. <laughs> yeah. Excuse our dryer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's a cool thing. They actually talk to people. Um, you know, there's so many bands today that are like not even bands, they're like DJs or, yeah. or they're guys using like, you know, like a Kai, uh, you know, uh, MPCs or they're using CDJs and they, they go, they go on stage and all they got is an SD card. Yeah. You know, that they pop in their CDJ and then you're like, okay, you're like I want to see somebody actually not just jump up and down in front of the CDJ. I want to see somebody actually shred on a guitar or hit, yeah. you know, do a drum solo. So it's cool seeing guys like you because you know that's, I grew up in a time, you know, punk was the big thing. I, I was listening to the Ramones. I was listening to like uh, the Replacements and and uh, you know guys who were really shredding, you know. Yeah. Black Flag on, you know, Hoots do bands like that. And it's cool to see guys, you know, having that kind of, you know, the idea that you guys can still play without being so connected to computers. You know, yeah. that that's a bad thing. There's cool music that can be done with computers, but they, they, I think it just has, adds more life when you when you have a band that plays live. Yeah. That, it, it's oh, just, yeah. That brings up a good point from that, you know, our failed attempt at this last time <laughs> um i mentioned uh you know seeing seeing like uh i i'm super into a band called 21 pilots and um i've been into them for you know the past i guess four four or so years four or five years and um i i bought hundred dollar tickets to go see them one time and i always watch their you know live stuff on uh, youtube and stuff and but I was so stoked to go see him and um, went and got like real close up in the pit. And, you know, it's only two guys and 90% of the music you're hearing is actually coming from a track. And, you know, there's nothing, I'm not saying anything's against, I'm not against it. You know, you do your own thing. It's a, it's a total different aspect of uh, music in my opinion, but the thing that, I was so let down about is that so much of the sound that I was hearing was not being played in front of me. 
and it just felt the exact same, no different than watching uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah, yeah. The problem with bands like that, they get locked into their sequencers. You know, they get locked into main stage. They get locked into their programming on Ableton or something, and then they have all these backing tracks, and they can't really get out of it. Yeah. And if, if so, it's cool because. It's cool when you have management that want you to replicate your exact album. Yeah. And, and your tour manager wants you to sound the same every single show. But but if, if you want to go back to the old days, you know, I used to go see the dead. I used to go see Funkadelic, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I saw Green Day at Woodstock yeah. when that, that mud incident. And I also saw Trent Reznor at Woodstock. And when you see a band that's not using sequencers to that degree, um, yeah. is this, is it that live experience because I'm a kid that was elevating, you know, the Monterey pop jazz festival when I was a kid, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties, Hendrix, the parents there and the who's the parents at Monterey, you know, at Monterey and, and, and just, you know, the big events of the sixties, you know, the stones playing and, you know, all over the U S it's just seeing a band really shred and do it is kind of what I wanted to see him. I used to see Pearl Jam. Yeah. And Pearl Jam every night, you could see like you sometimes a Pearl Jam fan would buy a ticket to see two shows in a row. Yeah, because Pearl Jam the second day they do it, they wouldn't do the song the same way. Yeah, and Eddie Vedder is known for changing stuff. He changed the lyrics, he changed the structure. He go yeah. and, and that's kind of why you want to see a band. Mm-hmm. You know, you I don't want yeah. like. I think we brought it up the last time as well. Like, uh, yeah. um, no disrespect, you know, I I don't. I don't have anything against that. Uh, it's I just think a lot of fans like it. You know, yeah. I think you said, um, you know, there's a difference between, a, a, I guess, a, a performer. Yeah, a performer. And, uh, and a, you know, a musician, I guess, or, a, or a, you know, a band or whatever. Or uh, some things are more rapid performance art. Like you yeah. could say like what Bowie used to do. Yeah, yeah. Bowie, Bowie sometimes was more theatrical them musical but he he kind of tried to blend it so yeah. like if you saw bowie when he was with ziggy stardust that was very much like a real rock band but yeah. once you see him like let's dance that was more processed right that was more like locked in yeah. but you know ziggy was is like my preference he had so many different forms but ziggy was closer to like a rock show because they had a real you know rock band I mean, that band you know was pretty heavy um but you get to like let's dance. It's more processed. There's more stuff going on. But he could kind of morph into different things, and he liked that performance. And he gets people like Lady Gaga, you Twenty One Pilots. You get a lot of modern rock bands that are kind of locked in to the backing tracks. And there's a whole set of fans that want that. It's kind of kind of fans have kind of caused that to happen in some cases because that's what they want. Um, but you know, you got a different set of fans that want to see indie bands. They want to see hardcore bands. They want to see speed metal bands. They want to see bands. You know, I'm a jazz guy. I'll, I'll go see a jazz outfit in New Orleans or something because that's what I want to see. Um, and so, you know, it's a different. You see, the different fan bases want different things, and you, I can't put down. You know, the DJ crowd or electronica crowd. They want to get into that. Um, I'm a different type of electronic musician. You know, but it's interesting. That you guys were talking, you know. I think we talked, you know, last time that you you're you're working on an album that you had um, previously put out, which was uh, the Sacrifice, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe we'll get into that because you, you basically during this time you guys are re-recording it and remastering and changing some things about it so maybe talk to the fans about that yeah yeah so it's basically gonna be all the songs that were on the sacrifice ep but um with the new vocalist which is me adding new uh some new guitar parts completely re-recording the whole thing remixing it remastering it so and then adding uh four new songs to it as well that's cool so it's it's the same but it's also very different at the same time because they changed like who sings on it and so the songs if somebody had both albums there's a reason to probably have both records because if you're a fan he's like it's not gonna sound exactly the same and yeah yeah and then you've got more songs on this album right so it's more of a full prog album right exactly yeah it's uh i believe it's uh 10 tracks right including the intro and the 10 I'm pretty to sure 12. it's 10, 10 to 12 tracks oh, cool that'll be on the, the full-length album that we'll put out uh closer to the end of this year yeah you said it was like maybe is it october or more like december october yeah uh towards the end of october that's cool so so what made you think of um going back and and doing that record and redoing it rather than maybe doing a full new project you felt like you you had something more to do with that record yeah i think even when george and tyler sat down to record it the first time they even kind of knew then that they were eventually going to go back and redo it just because the music is is there it's just some of the production quality wasn't mm -hmm. what it could have been you know they were making okay. it in you know george's parents basement with sheets up and stuff so, oh yeah oh yeah so i uh our method of hearing you is dying so oh okay so you change it there you go okay. you good i still hear you but you probably can't you can't hear me so good <laughs> it's working but yeah, yeah, I think you can still hear us, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you guys. You couldn't hear me. Anyway, um, I don't know what he's already said, but back in 2016, me and Tyler uh, got together, just wrote the rest of Sacrifice and um, recorded it in my mom's basement with, uh, I think he just said, with sheets around, like hanging from the um ceiling tiles around the drum set and then my guitar cab in uh the closet with clothes in it <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know i just had a comforter set up behind like on a rack that i was singing into because i was the uh main vote or the lead vocalist and the guitar player and uh i also was the bassist on the album and then tyler played all those but uh <clears throat> We got to, we finally got done with it. And as we were releasing it, I like really just had the hunt or the urge to um, play it. I wanted to play it. So I was like, I'm leaving for school in four months. Let's get a band together and let's play at least three shows before I leave. You know, mm -hmm. and, I mean, you know, so we did. We got Josh and we got my uh, our bassist Rajel, which he's not here right now. Um, and we played three shows up in St. Louis, and then I went to school. Um, two years later, they all moved out, and Chris 
joined the band. Um, and from the, sorry, I jumped ahead from right after we released it, me and Tyler had already talked about like wanting just, just because of the quality of the sound, we were always planning on re-recording it and remastering it just because we didn't have the yeah, have capability at that time. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have the right, uh, equipment basically. Um, and so in the meantime, we switched the lineup around. We added another guitar player. We switched into vocals, and I became a backup vocalist. And uh, also, Chris is backup vocals too. We all we try to have a three-part harmony, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like an Eagles thing, then. <laughs> sure, yeah, and you know, it's also really cool because we also utilize, uh, you know two-part harmony with a scream in the background as well so like one guy screaming like maybe i'll be screaming or he's screaming and okay. i'm singing a note and chris is singing a note and it, it's a really cool texture um but yeah this this new like i think you already said it this new album's gonna or the remastered album with the four uh new songs is gonna uh it's in my opinion three times the quality so you guys use like a digital audio workstation to record, right? Yeah, we use yep. Studio One. Do you guys record like every track like separately or do you record like, like a full band into the DAW or do you record kind of like, like like a lot of people do now is like every track in kind of isolation where you're not, the band isn't playing together or are you playing like together? Well, um, we don't do the full band simply because of we don't have a really good place to record drums mm -hmm. um and we you know we cannot afford studio time yep. especially in la um we are looking to change some of that stuff because uh, we are planning to uh you know build a studio here in the next year or two um it's in the plans um but no we uh for this remastered album we uh we definitely did everything separately um the first sacrifice we uh i kind of did like a chicken scratch we call it chicken scratch guitar takes you know just one one take of guitar through the whole song mm -hmm. and then, uh you know to a click and then just for Tyler to record drums too, just mm -hmm. so we had some some guitar get that reference for it, like reference. Yeah, you know, and then I would take his drums, um, and record to his drums, the yep. guitar, the bass, and then after that, I would do vocals. So essentially, yeah, we're doing it all separately um, for both. And you know, we, I personally would kind of like to do it as a band. Um, but for our music, um, it kind of, and I think we mentioned it last time, but, uh, it kind of calls for, um, not digital, but more perfection. Yeah. But yeah. I think the whole recording process, I think I talked about, I don't know, I saw a documentary with George Martin okay. and, and he had mentioned like when he started recording the Beatles, they always had originally just recorded as a band. Mm-hmm. And then he started to do what a lot of people do now is like he kind of introduced 
to rock and roll, the idea that you really should do it separately mm -hmm. because you don't necessarily want to represent reality. You want to write like a painter, right? So yes. I had this idea of sound paintings, which means that you don't necessarily want to capture a band as you would hear them in a performance. You're going to yeah. be artistic with the sound, which means you have to be very detailed with the sound and separation of the yeah. tracks so that you can mold them with effects and all kinds of other concepts of running, you know, studio takes a backward taping and oh, yeah. shadow vocals and all these ideas that he kind of started to introduce. And later you get, you know, other, other people dump, uh, you know, double down on it with like guys like you know, Pink Floyd and, and, um, you know, Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page and Hendrix all started using the studio as a painting can of canvas to do sound paintings, which yeah. is, yeah. No, yeah, I, I, um, that takes me back. That was one of the first things I ever, you know, thought about when like creating an album is, you know, there's, there's two aspects of a band. There's the live performance in the studio, the record. And to me, the live performance is ever changing. It's always going to be, a, like we said earlier, just a, a new performance, you know, a different atmosphere, every venue, every night, even if it's the same venue two nights in a row, you know, it's a, it's a little different. Um, with the record, in my opinion, it um, it's exactly how I want it to be. You mm. know, want it to be. This is exactly what we're going for, you know, and uh, how we see it in our minds. Like you said, like a canvas and you're kind of uh, sound pain. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very hard. I, I, I don't know, actually. it's It's got to be so much harder to do that as a live performance re uh, recording. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's harder. I mean, yeah, yeah, guys like the Stones, you know, they tended to live record until they got further in their career and they started doing, you know, more advanced work. Yeah. Um, but, but like every band, you know, a lot of bands, you know, like a punk band, they tend to want to do it. Like the band, like a Black Flag or Who's Could Do, they might go in and do like Zen Arcade in a warehouse, totally plugged in and just track it, you know. And and that has a, has its appeal, you know. When you get a band like the Who, a lot of Who's next stuff was recorded in London for this aborted, you know, big uh, rock opera, and they they recorded a lot of the Who's next in this theater because it was supposed to be this rock concert uh, concert concept album. And so the reason Who's next has this kind of live feel is the band is like the whole band's recording. Most, a lot of those tracks were done live and then overdubbed. Now, yeah. the cool thing was they when they overdubbed it, they tightened it up even more yeah. and made it kind of not reality. Yeah. It had that live feel, but then it has the perfection of yeah. Townsend going in and then taking his solos until they got refined to the point where, you know, what you hear on Who's Next is like classic, is a classic record. Yeah. But the original raw versions of it kind of are a, a, a picture of what it would become, but yeah. the energy was there. And some of the drumming and stuff was is, was kept because it had that moon had that energy, and sometimes you want that live performance and you kind of take it, you know, if you're recording, sometimes it's good to do some tracks live, and then some tracks not. You kind of it's like if you use digital stuff, you use a digital DAW or you use audio, yeah, I mean, analog stuff. Like I'm an analog guy, but sometimes I use a digital synth if I want to use digital. But a lot of times I use my Moog because the mode's gonna give me something heavier than, than what digital can do. Um, but there are some places where you want a piano and you know analog doesn't do pianos well, you gotta, you gotta take a digital synth to get a piano, like a sampled synth. And so 
I think it's like a technique. If you take some live stuff, some sampled stuff, you take whatever's necessary to kind of service the song. Um, and in, in some situations, some songs require it to be, you know, bare bones. Some require it to be Pink Floyd level, you know, field yeah. recordings, orchestration, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, shadow vocals, doubling, every technique yeah. in under the sun. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool to see you guys like doing that, that kind of, that perfection, I think, is what you know. It, it makes makes a record versus the live performance. I think yeah. that's what you're trying to get at. Yeah, and uh, you know, we couldn't possibly do all the, you know, twenty some odd uh, vocal tracks that we like to use on some parts. You know, mm -hmm. uh, as a live recording with three guys. You know. <laughs> yeah, unless we got to rub the back and go. Yeah, some bands will try to use their backing track, but then they get locked in. Like, you know, if you try to go and replicate like 20 overdubs of a vocal, then then you're locked into that structure as you recorded it. And then you're kind of, that becomes like a real pain in, in, in the neck, you know? And some bands, I mean, there's a story about the Eagles where like Don Henley and Glenn Fry. Uh, during uh, the the con the concerts for uh, Hotel California, they they actually would find the rest of the members in the band if they didn't play note for note Hotel California, the way that it was recorded. They wow. they were trying to force what bands do now with computers. Oh, <laughs> they, there's no boss with that. Yeah, was it was, band at that time. Yeah, he was in it. He was. He said it was like mind numbing. It was making them take drugs. You know. <laughs> Because it was like taking the fun out of performing. Yeah. I mean, Walsh is a, you know, great, like, improvisational. Let room. him do his thing. Let him <laughs> just do it, you know. And it, all the rest of the guys, you know, let him just go off. And, like, no, stay, stay in the groove. Just stay, just do it like the record. And to me, that that they, that totally, you know, helped lead to the end of the, 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 the Eagles because of their kind of tyrannical control over the band. They just... They 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 took all the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think in the studio, yeah, you make it perfect. You do what you want. When you go on the road, you kind of like let's bring some life into it. You know, let's let's change it up, and and to try to like make it exactly like the record every night. I don't yeah, think most yeah. musicians want to do that. You know, it also creates like the uh, a whole nother aspect of your live performance for your fans. Like it, it's more intimate for your fans. It's more intimate for your not fans. Like are your uh, just your crowd in general when you're playing a different show every time, um, and not playing the exact note for note everything um, the same. Even like you know, I go to shows, and I'm like almost more. Uh, what do you call it? I find I get joy out of seeing fuck ups or uh, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know differences in the in the, in the well, yeah. melodies or the guitar solos or you know I'm like oh yeah that's so cool I'm so glad I came to this. see if a band can actually handle a mess up like if yeah. they can handle a fuck up and actually go with it and then make it look like they didn't f up you know yeah, yeah. and that's that, that's kind of like a musician kind of well yeah what well, it's a happy accident that actually makes them go off and do something else yeah and then maybe yeah, yeah. create another song later yeah. oh I, I i never thought about doing that maybe i should go do that yeah you know? And, and you know that that's like totally even if you do keep doing it every show like it's a one-time thing like that first time you know 
your crowds like if they notice it's just so cool you know uh yeah yeah one band polyphia i actually they started one of my favorite songs by them they uh they're an instrumental group and one of their guitar players his guitar would not go into tune and he he actually stopped the band to restart they restarted they got about you know 10 seconds in the song and he he got mad and he took his guitar off threw it on the ground and walked to the back for about 30 seconds came back out and tuned up another guitar plugged it back in and started playing about halfway through the song and i got it all on video and i i just thought it was the coolest thing in the world because when else are you ever gonna see that you know yeah. I got to watch the rhythm part the whole time, not the lead <laughs> part, you know? I don't know. Stuff like that's cool to me. And uh, I like to bring that for our, our band as well. You know? Actually, yeah, I that yeah, I'm a big fan of the, you know, kind of old school, you know, jam band, you know, watching, you know, like, a I used to go see Parliament Funkadelic, yeah. you know, and they were just like, they're like the funk Grateful Dead. And you know, if you ever saw you ever a, a band that was funk and psychedelia, and you know R and B, you know super heavy Hendrixian guitar solos, and they just go off, and they they could go off and do Maggot Brain for like twenty minutes, you know, with these Hendrixian solos in it, and you know Bootsy Collins is slapping the bass and like going off on all these like jazz fusion directions, and that's what you know. That's what really gets me excited. I mean, that's why I would go see the Almonds. Yeah. The Almond Brothers would do the same thing. It's this country fried fusion yeah. thing that that just thinking Greg Almond on a Hammond B3 on the keyboard player. And so it was like watching Greg Greg Almond was like his voice is so good, people don't recognize how good of a Hammond B3 organ player he he was. He was like incredible, but but his voice was so awesome that people didn't really realize that he was just as good a musician as anybody else in the band yeah. when it came to playing on that board. Yeah. Which is weird because, you know, people don't, but if you go back and you listen to like the, the stuff that he did, uh, it, it, it's like right up there with Dwayne in terms of what he was doing. He was following Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman yeah. on a keyboard and he was doing a damn good job. Yeah. But uh, I digress. But so you guys like, you have been uh, just working on your new projects, right? And you, ha, under COVID, have you guys been thinking about like doing like live streaming or joining yeah. any kind of projects like that? Maybe talk about that. Yes, uh, we we're uh, slacking on it. We have been talking about it for a few months, and uh, I think our biggest issue is just again like it's really hard to uh mix the drums with oh, get, a, get a live drum yeah you gotta mic the drums right it's hard to mic the drums i guess yeah and and it's like our only setup we can do is have the the mics the our vocal mics are in the same room and mm -hmm. like facing the drum set so it's just like we're just still trying to figure that out, out i guess and then uh, but everything else we have uh, rigged up to be direct input, you know, the bass, the, the, and the guitars, you know? And yeah. I mean, I guess only like a Roland electronic drum set, they could go right into the board would, would work, but yeah. that's, that's money, but that idea, would make yeah. it totally would work better. And yeah. some of those have gotten, not that I'm a big Roland guy, but you know, I kind of use a lot of Roland stuff. They, that does solve that problem, but it's not the same as an acoustic set, but their stuff is getting so much better. 
Yeah. Because some of those sets can actually approximate pretty good. I mean, shit, what? What's... So much better and so much more expensive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. don't they have like 20 grand? 25 yeah, grand yeah. yeah, they're crazy. They're crazy, they're crazy sets. To um, do the same thing I do now is like 3,500, four grand. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, okay. I got yeah. You. yeah, that's oh, hard to do. Set up, you mean? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, but, they, gonna do it, sure. yeah but the mic, the mics you need probably could be in the same ballpark, maybe. Well, we have all the mics to do it. It's just getting all the pieces to come together. Oh yeah, that's maybe you need a better soundboard. Maybe a soundboard. You don't. You don't have. It's a not even that. It's just really sitting down and getting all the pieces. Like realistically, where do the vocals need to be to where there's not a bunch of bleed between everything? Oh, oh because you you're, know, you're, the you're overpowering the. Oh, because your 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 space that you're recording is so small, you can't spread it out. It's like a living room, essentially. It is a yeah, room. yeah. So that, that's where you're running into the problem. You're getting the bleed coming from. Even if you're micing, you're still picking up other stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. But uh, we we will eventually, um, probably in the next month, we'll do a, a nice little hour set or something. But. Uh, yeah, because I mean that's that seems to be like the problem today. One of the things we always get into is like streaming services and capabilities like this. You know, allow us to talk to musicians all over the world and to you know communicate. But the 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 the, the problem with a lot of with musicians, what we have is we get paid more money for doing a live show than we do for doing anything else. And we you know you can make more money selling a T-shirt or a button or a poster. Than you will on Spotify or Apple or uh, any you know all the other services, and so now musicians who have been able to kind of survive that way under COVID, they're kind of hitting the wall because it's like okay, people will go and pay for Xbox Live and PS4, and they'll pay a YouTuber a fifteen dollar tip for them playing a video game, but when it comes to a band. Nobody wants to pay the band. <laughs> it's so it's like, how do we get the uh, the kids today to want to give you the fifteen dollars like they give fifteen dollars to a YouTuber? It's good. I, I really think it's just because you know it's so much. It's so easy to um to access. It's so easily easily accessible. Like all music is. It's mm. and uh, and for free. Like you can you know. Almost any song you can search on YouTube, or you can illegally download it almost anywhere. And, yeah. Um, you know, with with YouTube, they they get it with the uh, you know the advertisements, but uh, um, you know, in Spotify, you pay what ten bucks a month or eight bucks, ten ten bucks a month, and you get millions of songs. You know. Yeah. It's so it's just so much easily easier accessible and and the only way to make money is to play the shows and you know there's a there's a lot of bands that are actually doing they're streaming shows and they're charging tickets to yeah yeah yeah, i'm actually i have an agent that's working on that for me um so yeah there's a lot of people doing that um yeah and it's just a question of how many fans can you actually get to do it and you you know what happens is your reach you know, a lot of my fans are in Europe and Asia yeah. and outside the U.S. So in the U.S., I might not get a lot of guys to actually pay for that. But in like South Korea and Tokyo 
in London and in Australia, Norway, Netherlands, I can get enough. I can get three, 400 people to pay five bucks. Yeah. You know, and that's the kind of like, that's how the music business is working. Now you got to get people that find your audience wherever they are and get them to, you know, monetize their interest in the band. (laughs) You know, so that you get, you, you get, you get to work, you know, in that way, or you do sync licensing. You know, you find a way to get into a sync licensing company and you work on other projects, right? You work on somebody else's project, putting bass lines down. You yeah. work, you know, I'm putting like 30 minute commercials together or, or, or little snippets for, for advertisements and for movies and TV shows. Cause there's so many things that have to have music on it. Yeah. If you get yourself into that world, you can get some income from, you know, a couple hours worth of work for a little snippet. So your work, get more money for 30 seconds of your work in a film than you will all year, (laughs) you know, know? and it's kind of crazy, but that's kind of how it's working in the business. It just seems it would be cool if if kids would appreciate or the fan base would appreciate, you know, music at the same level as other types of entertainment, like video games, which, because I grew up in an age where, you know, I, I bought purple rain on vinyl when it came out, I went down and got it. You know, I went and got, you know, like, like a lot of big albums at the time were on, you know, vinyl, you know, so I, I had Led Zeppelin four and vinyl I had yes albums on vinyl. I would go and, and in that age, you know, you, it wasn't a playlist type of culture. If you bought the record, you're going to go in the basement with your bros and you're going to listen to the whole thing. So do you guys find that the people who listen to their music are more likely to listen to the whole album or are they still selecting your songs? Like, as part of a, a metal playlist, or do they actually listen to your whole record? Well, I don't know about our fans, but um, I know about like the modern attention span, mm-hmm. and it's you know anywhere from ten seconds to three minutes of a song. <laughs> um, so I don't see how you know if we're not you know just huge whatever uh you know majority of people aren't going to uh listen to a seven minute metal song um but you know our fans i guess yeah i think they would listen to it straight through i actually know a few people that that do you know uh, on hand i guess but uh um i don't know if we're really pushing to uh you know I think we're more pushing for like, you know, we released that EP. We released three yeah, songs. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we we didn't necessarily put the first song on there because it was our best song. It was just in the order that it's going to be chronologically on the album. Um, and I've noticed that that song has way more uh, listens than the other two. Because it's the first one. It's first or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, I I don't know if the, uh, you know, modern, uh, you know, today's society yeah. really listens to whole albums anymore. Just because you have all the versatility of you, of making playlists and, you you know, you're making your own records, you know, uh, yeah. to listen to. Uh, I think I think what it seems like the genre, like in in in, in the genre that you're in, like the rock genre or metal genre, 
there are people that will still listen to full projects, but it seems to be more prevalent in like hip hop. Like if you get, you listen to, you know, guys who are fans of like Tyler, the creator and odd future, or, 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 you know, you get into like a Brock Hampton, people will listen to those projects. It seems like hip hop has kind of taken over where in the old world of like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, and all the old '70s bands, you know, like the Eagles, would let people would listen to Hotel California all the way through, you know, because it's kind of a concept album. Um, but now that seems to have been put into like Kendrick Lamar, Tyler the Creator, a lot of a lot of these like hip hop artists have projects that are concepts, and people seem to listen to those things all the way through. Yeah. Um, but in other genres like pop, and you know EDM or you know traditional, what's in the top fifty? people are just playlisting all that stuff. Um, yeah. And well, you know, we, uh, Josh knows more about it than I do, but uh, I mean, t- tell them about like how we're, you know, pushing our Spotify, how we push to curators. We're not pushing our album, we push songs. Right, yeah. So really we want to tap into people who will sit and listen to the whole album because it does flow together nicely like that. We also mm-hmm. have a lot of songs that, are good standalone by themselves and would work well in a lot of different people's playlists. So <coughs> our goal right now is really just getting our music in front of as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to adapt in that way because you know, it's obvious like big playlists on Spotify are getting millions and millions of listeners. And that's how a lot of people are finding new stuff to listen to. So we really want yeah. to have the whole album. We have the three song release EP. We're probably going to put out more singles before the album comes out. So we really want to tap into both aspects there. Yeah, this seems like this is an age kind of like the 50s of, of the single era, where like, like the, you know, the late 60s with Sgt. Peppers was the, the beginning of the era of the album. But in the, in, the, in the 2020, it's the age kind of like in the 50s, like you had all these singles and people didn't really have they had albums that were eventually cobbled together full of like all the hits, but they didn't have like cohesive concepts. They would just throw like Motown records. A lot of times they would just throw together all the hits and then release it as a a full album, but it really didn't gel. You know, it might be that the same guys like the Funk Brothers maybe recorded everything and it has a similar sound and they're all hits. So it's fine. People didn't really care, but, but the idea of of a concept record, really started with the Beatles. Um, but it, it, we've kind of are starting to go full circle again. A lot of the bands I've been talking to have a kind of two stage strategy of like, they've got these albums, but they have a single strategy where everything's a single on any of the streaming services and they'll push it out to trying to get to the curators on their, on the, you know, the playlist curators and get it out there uh, and push, get it pushed. And, and that's, that's the game that we're in right now. But hopefully it will spin back to to albums. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an album guy. I, I, I like to re- listen to albums like reading novels. I think that when a band puts together a really good album, it's like reading the great American novel, you know? And so so if, if when you have a really cohesive concept, it's cool to, to see what a band's thinking. And it's, sometimes it takes more than one song to understand the whole project. And I think some of the kids today might be missing out on the full breadth of an artist if they only just pick one here and there. And I, I really feel like that's uh, 
just because of I don't know what it is actually because but uh, it stems from just the, the attention span of, uh, of younger people now and in, in kind of our, our today's society is uh, they can't hold their attention to something if it's not like grabbing their attention constantly and constantly over and over. Um, well, yeah, you have so many distractions. You got, you know, the kid watching YouTube, their favorite YouTube star. You know, yeah. you got sports, you got your cell phone. Somebody's like giving you an instant message. So then you don't have the time, kind of quiet time. In yeah. the 70s, like I said, I go pick up Led Zeppelin 4. There's no cell phone. There's yeah. no internet. You yeah. know, so I may go out and play ball with my friends. I'm going to go in the basement. I mean, it does not, never went alive. I'm going to go to a comic shop. I'm going to go get some baseball cards. There was limited choices about what you were going to do. I'm jump a ramp with my BMX or whatever, but you didn't have like these millions of choices that you things that you could do. Yeah. And so listening to Led Zeppelin for the 15th time, that sounded like a good idea, you know, but now people have so many things they could do that I think that's the problem is they have to kind of, you have to kind of map out some time, you know, to, and I, because I podcast, I listen to a lot of full projects just because I, I, I grew up liking that. So because this is what I do, I, I tend to do that, but I understand why people don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's your, 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 on, um, what are you going to be doing for 2020, 2021 besides getting the, this album out? Are you working on like the next record? A lot of bands I talked to, like they got this one project and they got this other project. Do you guys like map out, what you're doing or you do like wherever you are now is where, where what you're doing or you're planning out like long-term? Um, you know, we are constructing a long-term plan. Um, it's, you know, nowhere close to being done, but uh, I don't think it ever will be, you know, it will ever change or keep it changing <laughs> over time. But um, of course, you know, I, I have a plethora of songs, uh, that I've been working on. And, um, so does Chris, so does Tyler. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to devote all of our time right now, um, to finishing the album, obviously, but, you know, in the meantime, we're also working on anything we can for the next album, for merchandise, for artwork, you know, uh, you know, so you guys, you, you guys are also thinking about like vinyl for this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, eventually, we plan to start with CDs mm -hmm. and a digital release, but uh, of course, you know, it's not in the budget quite yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it would be. You know, I, I would like to make, um, you know, everything. You know, I, I, I want to, you know, digital. You know, yeah, yeah. To do, uh, we're gonna do CDs, of course. The easiest one's digital, but then you know, even uh, USB drives. You know, yeah, USB drives and cassette tapes are like the big thing now because cassette. Sure. Yeah, people are the old cassettes that I, I grew up with in the '80s before yeah. CDs came. Everything was cassette. You know, we had tape decks in our cars, <laughs> and um, yeah, I still have tons of those. I'm like, oh, I only got a couple players left. I can do it. I got a couple Walkmans sitting around, <laughs> but um. I actually been playing around with Walkmans that convert my tapes into my Moog, so I can oh, yeah. actually bring the signal into my Moog and then I use them to like just like just rip the sound up. So they, they I don't like recognizable samples. For 
for sure. I like to take something and then like turn it inside out so you can't even recognize it. It's like yeah. the opposite of like ice ice baby. Yeah. Been, you know, go and take something and, and make it so it's totally unrecognizable yeah. and then use it as a sound source, you know. Yeah. But um yeah, it's just I think it's cool that there's you know, I, I saw a company in, in, in Russia was actually taking reel to reel tape, a company called like Orbital, and they actually will will create reel to reels for bands. And then they you, you can sell them as like a box. They come in a box. And it's like like a vinyl package. It, it's like so. It's like you know if somebody has a reel to reel player. Your album's on a reel to reel. That's so sick. And I think I was like, whoa! I should put one of my records out on that just to be kind of perverse, you know? <laughs> it's like it's like only the hardcore fans are going to get that one. Oh yeah, only because like you got to have the machine to play it on. <laughs> it's no, like trying to do a track. <laughs> No, yeah, we'll definitely do vinyl eventually. Um, but what my plan is to, you know, when we drop this album, um, like within a year, I want to be done recording the next album uh, and not do it this uh, quite as slow as we did this one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to write and record and, and mix when, you know, you're 2000 miles away from each other and also uh, going to school and stuff and having yeah. all this other outside crap going on. And um, also trying to recapture the old sacrifice and yeah. not change it too much, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, we're, we completely redid it. Like it's all completely, you know, we re-recorded all the guitar. We added MIDI, uh, lots of MIDI, uh, all new drums, all new bass, you know, every all new vocals, obviously. So uh, lots of soft sense through the MIDI stuff. You got like synthesizer stuff, right? Yeah, well, uh, you know, like strings and String. choir. And choir. I have some, actually the most like uh, analog or soft synth that I mm -hmm. use is actually for like drops, you know. Uh, or just drops. Drone a low drone so just as a like depth you know i really like had some effect of putting something it's really low in the mix just to add some ambiance yeah you can't hear it yeah yeah it's kind of like you know that's the kind of george martin technique you know you, you layer stuff in you put it real low i mean peter gabriel and like tony banks from genesis i was watching a documentary and they used to talk about how they would put these things really really low in the mix you know, you have like somebody with a cello just hitting it every couple bars, mm -hmm. and you didn't even know it was there. No, or, or somebody with a triangle just doing it like every like once yeah. every two minutes, you know, just throwing something in some off the wall, you know, and throwing it in a mix and just layering it. Um, it, it, it just ends up being like a like a sound painting again. There's a lot of yeah. cool stuff you can do with recording technology, yeah, and it's cool because the only way you can even writing it and putting it in. The only way I can tell it's there is taking it out and putting yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there's some things like you don't know yeah. that they were even there until you like un unpack it. Yeah. I love watching like documentaries. I was watching a documentary on like Electric Ladyland, okay. and and they were showing like all these like guitar like Hendrix used to overdub his guitar like like crazy. And on, and on Electric Lady, he was doing it like extreme level because he finally got to like a 24 track recording studio. And, and you know, if you had the album before that was only like maybe eight tracks and he had gotten up to 24 
and then they could bounce. So he started doing all this crazy layering. Uh, and he would just overdub his guitar in different tunings. And it's just, it's just the layering is just like it's this wall of sound. Yeah. And in some ways, it sounds like synthesizers. Yeah. And it was always kind of drawn to what Hendrix could do on guitar is kind of like it was a kind of a precursor to what people ended up doing with synthesizers. Yeah. You know? And I always like looked at him as like, well, he's kind of like like the root of a lot of that stuff <laughs> that people later, you know, did on sense that he was doing on guitar. Yeah, but, we, we, uh, I guess the most guitars we have going at the same time would be, let's see, eight four, to ten. Eight to ten? No, it'd be six to ten. Because we the usually most. we usually try to just, uh, you know, for for. Uh, a real tight uh, rhythm sound. Mm -hmm. It's just left and right. Two guitars. Yep, yep, left and right. You know, we we also like the quad track, so we'll do the same thing twice. So we'll have yep. guitars. Yeah, just build it up, double it up. Yeah, yeah, and but then you know, we'll add a harmony on top, like a, a dueling guitar lead on top. Mm -hmm. That's six guitars, and then sometimes, oh yeah, in one of our songs, we've got rhythm harmony like dubbed four times plus like octave part i don't know two octaves so that's octaves plus plus a dubbed dueling harmony so that's another like four guitars so yeah 10 you know up to 10 yeah. and that, uh, like, that's just like really, really kind of classic a lot of stuff like yeah if you go back in the 70s and you look at fleetwood mac you look at tom petty you know, band ELO, ELO and Page was doing on on the uh, you know the the later day Led Zeppelin records where John Paul Jones got more involved. Mm -hmm. Then you hear this crazy layering uh, that you know the cashmere type stuff that was going on. They started doing like heavy heavy studio manipulation. Yeah. They weren't just doing what they did on Led Zeppelin four. They started getting you know in through the outdoor type of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, it's really cool to talk to a band that's still a band. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I'm always trying to find, you know, guys who are still out there playing their instruments yeah. and, and doing it. And it's hard because like if you're if you're an electronic band, you know, you know, you can go and have somebody in the Netherlands do one part and then go and mix it in FL studio or and it doesn't really matter because you're all you're using an 808, you're not using a real drummer, you're using a 909 or something. So it, you can get it done, you know, pretty quick. With, you know, and you don't have to be in the same room and maybe you just have a Skype, but you guys got to do it a, a lot, you know, because you got to have that kind of relationship because yeah. you're in a band and a band is a team versus like a guy that's like by themselves or a duo. Yeah. Um, you guys got to, like, I got to mesh with the chemistry and that's kind of, that's what the pro, that's what, what is the exciting about it. That's why yeah, people are. Yeah. That's why people want to see a, a four member band or five member band, three unit band. So they want to see, hear that chemistry. Yeah, that that's what it's all about. Oh yeah, no, it totally is, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> you guys still keeping the faith in that. It needs to be done. <laughs> For sure, hell yeah. So this this is gonna go out right now. It's been going out on Facebook Live on my Fam Electric Ghost channel, and we will send you uh, the link to it. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this and put it on Anchor FM. And then it's going to go out to 11 podcast platforms, including Spotify, which we're a part of, and um, Apple Music, 
Google, and um, probably eight other ones. Uh, so we're on like a different platform. So we'll send you those links. It will take us about an hour to get it all together. But, you know, we'll send you that as soon as it's ready. But thank you for being on the program. When your new album's ready in October, we can talk to you again and yeah, uh, push it out. Hell yeah. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you guys have a good night. You too. You too. See you. Hey, bye. Go ahead, Tyler.